filibuster is supported through Patreon by listeners like you. Check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster. We also get support from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia. They handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Jason, are you still at the soccer plex? Are you paying rent? Uh, if they start charging me rent, there there might be a problem. Um, I suggested it, uh, pre pre show that uh, they should build him a cabin, and so he can just stay there permanently. Well, he has he has all his equipment from his many threats to start building a stadium <laughs> on Buzzard Point, so he he could just use that to build a house. My, my pile of bricks, uh, <laughs> without. The ability to like put the bricks together. Um, yeah, uh, I don't have the. Uh, I don't know how to make uh, mortar. I guess. Um, no, I'm not at the Plex anymore. Um, but I've been there twice in. I guess it's like 46 hours. I've made two separate trips there for games. Um, for our listeners that don't follow the spirit that closely, I made a special trip because of DC's the timing of DC's game and the spirit game and the weather on Saturday, the combination of those three things. I left the house thinking that I would get to a coffee shop near the soccer plex and watch the game, watch the DC game via stream. Uh, and then write our recap because Steven Streff was unavailable, um, for once. Um, so, so he was out. So I was stepping in for him. Um, but I figured I could do that from the coffee shop and then I would have a nice, easy two or three miles to the soccer plex. And I would be very early for the spirits game that was at, you know, it was about. Uh, uh, I guess it was only an hour and 10 minutes after the end of the D.C. game in the end, because uh, Univision and Twitter conspired to have the kickoff go from it's at three thirty to no, it's at three fifty to uh, actually it starts at three fifty five. Um so they, they pulled one of those. Um, but uh, if you were in the area, if you were in this region on Saturday, you know that it rained for every second of the day very hard. Um, and so in the amount of time that I set aside to get all the way to the soccer plex, uh, the traffic was bad enough that I only got to Silver Spring. So then I watched the game from Silver Spring. And then I hightailed it as fast as I could without being in uh, risk of an accident. Got to the soccer plex at like 6.50. Um, got in, was, you know, kind of soaked to the bone and I got in, there was one seat left in the press box. I unzipped my computer. I set it on the desk and I had opened the lid, but I hadn't plugged the charger in or turned it on yet when the spirits GM, uh, poked his head into the press box and announced that the game was going to be abandoned because the referees said the field was unplayable, which was true. Um, it just rained too much. Uh, there was nothing that could be done. Um, when I got there, I looked at all the puddles and thought this might not happen. Um, and uh, then uh, they, at, I guess we we did a little, a tiny little article explaining what had happened, and we got that out. And then I was sort of finishing up um, with that, and, and, and you know, I didn't really have a rush. I didn't want to get back on the road again because I had just come from that. Um, so I was kind of lollygagging, and in that time frame. Uh, 
the team uh, found out that the game would that the Houston would stick around in town and they would play the game 10 a.m. rather than try and reschedule it. Um, I think the option was bandied about that they could play it after the regular season was officially supposed to be ended uh, was like the other possible date, which I don't think either of these teams was interested in. So 10 a.m. today. Now we're recording on Sunday. So. I went home, uh, I stayed up longer than I should have, uh, and then had to get up at 7 a.m., which on the weekend for me is uh, just not done. Um, Get myself together and get out the door and head back up there for the actual game, Um, which was played in, ironically, uh, beautiful weather. Uh, It was really, really nice out today, Um, at least during that stretch of time. After the game ended, it went back to raining. Um, But yeah, my mind is... It was nice of the weather to do the spirit of solid for yeah. once it was like a, it was on a delay it was like a three and a half to four hour window where it wasn't raining and there was a, a pleasant breeze though i will say since you mentioned the 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 weather and the spirit um the spirit were making a push for a late goal and in the last 10 minutes of the game that slight breeze became a steady wind going right in their faces which means they're playing against the wind come right on weather they, right, right when they needed a little extra help they were given uh, an extra hindrance um and it just was like an extremely 2018 game for the spirit in in all the ways you can imagine. I don't think I've woken up after 7 a.m. in probably a year and a half, maybe closer to two years. Is Same, this, uh, but double that. Right. That's that child life. It It is. Hashtag it is. that dad life. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United, and Cursed by the Weather Dad Life Podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by fellow dad Ben Bromley and not a dad Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United mostly. Also the Washington Spirit, the national teams when they're worth writing about, which ain't right now, and uh, other things in the world of soccer. Tonight we're talking DC United. They fell in Atlanta yesterday, Saturday night. Three to one. We're going to talk about that. We're going to also preview two upcoming games this week, both of them at Audi Field. Uh, the Red Bulls pay their first visit to Buzzard Point, and so do the Rapids. So we'll be talking about both of those later in the show. Before we do anything, though, Benjamin, what are you drinking? I'm just keeping it simple. I'm just doing a bourbon and Coke. Keeping it, keeping it nice and easy on a rainy, swamp-filled Richmond weekend. We went for a, a walk during the the one hour of uh, of not rain this afternoon, where it was pretty nice until the sun decided to really come out, and then it felt like a proper DC summer where you have the sun bearing down on your neck and the humidity somehow coming up from the ground because it had rained, and so the water was just evaporating onto us. It felt like uh, on the on the walk back, but we walked around Shaw, um, did not run into Ben Olson who lives in the neighborhood. Uh, but, but, you know, saw some good stuff, got back and I said, it's time for, uh, a, a beer cracked open a DC brow public. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, kind of a DC classic at this point. So that's what I'm having. Jason. Uh, well, during the world cup final, I went to a friend's and, um, as I was telling Ben before we started, um, we were going to have a big party, um, or he was going to host a big party and there were, multiple families with multiple children's per fa- children per family um, that were all supposed to show up. 
Um, so I got there. I had bought a big amount of guacamole, and he was like, I got this tequila. Um, he bought a bottle for his brother-in-law and then kept one for himself just to see what it was like, and it turned out to be um, pretty special. He's like, you got to try this. So um, apparently Patron will fly uh, any store owner or um, wholesaler or whatever that does a, a high amount of volume of Patron sales. They'll fly them down to their, um, they have this big estate, the uh, Hacienda Patron, um, and they'll let you try some of their um, a little more experimental vi- um, varieties. They've got stuff aging in all different kinds of barrels and things like that. So he went down there, uh, the, the guy at my friend's liquor store or the liquor store he goes to, he doesn't own the store. Um, the guy that owns that place went down there, found some barrel he really loved um, that was aged in Hungarian oak. So he got a, um, they allowed him, they were like, all right, we'll, we'll make a small batch just for you um, that you can sell out of your store. So, wow. so he had his small batch. So um, I tried some of that during the World Cup final. And it was great, but it's all the way on the other side of Anne Arundel County. I didn't feel like going out there. I also just didn't have time more accurately. But I happened to be in a liquor store in Annapolis, and I looked through their tequila selection, and they apparently have had a very similar privilege. And they have a Patron uh, barrel select that was aged in American and French oak. And so I picked that up. And it's got like a, it's like a really, it's really rich for a tequila, it's got like a strong vanilla flavor from the oak. Um, Even more like whiskey than your typical añejo, or yeah, exactly. And it's got like a spiciness. Um, huh. And I actually, I have a little tiny bit of Patron's añejo left, so I've actually done like an odor test over both bottles, and you can really um, the the barrel aging process really comes through um, when you when you get that aroma from both of them. So. Um, I'm pretty pleased with it. It's, it's different from, it's also very different from the one that my friend has, which is also fascinating to me. And now I, I really just want Patron to let me come to their Hacienda and drink a bunch. So, um, Patron, if you're listening to the show, uh, please contact us or me, uh, either way and we'll shoot for your product. Here's what we're going to do. Jason, you're going to start a liquor store and all our listeners are going to go there and buy Patron. That'll be the only thing you sell. (laughs) We're going to get you down there. Everywhere. I want to try these now, too. And I don't know any liquor store. I've never seen these before. I I will totally try a uh, paprika tequila. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. apparently the Hungarian oak was like a huge deal to the liquor store owner, and he wouldn't stop talking about it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm pretty sure that if you go to um, uh, Jalisco in Mexico, you can get yourself onto a tour of the Hacienda. And I feel like they might even... I mean, I've seen photos. I think it was on Top Chef one season. They went there. So it's like a huge, like, palatial estate. So they might even have, like, places you could stay. Like, you could, it seems to me like you might be able to just, like, book a week's live vacation <laughs> at this, like, hacienda or live there permanently. Um, and just, like, drink tequila, eat delicious Mexican food, and and kick it in uh, Jalisco. So I don't know if that's true, but it seems like it should be true, and it seems like it could be true. So I'm hoping uh, maybe one day I'll I'll get there. New plan. Uh, Jason, you're going to do some (laughs) investigative experiential journalism. Uh, Get SB Nation to pay for it, to fly you down there. And you say, I'm not going to pay to stay there. I'm just going to hide on the Hacienda and drink all the tequila and write about it. I'm in. I don't Uh, see how they don't approve that. 
immediately yeah, I, and at least cover I'll, your airfare and I'll your write plenty of words about whatever happens to me it, it might turn into a like a low low budget uh inexperienced uh hunter s thompson situation but you know you, you gotta do what you gotta do what if you best just slash worst well? case scenario it turns into a coen brothers movie but not one where one like, gets shot or something yeah, like yeah slap that's why it's numbers. best slash worse okay that, then I do wealthy and just buy it buy Patron, the entire company, and then that will be Black and Red United South. Okay, I'm interested in that plan as well. Um, I mean, Jason, if you become super wealthy, you should just move us all down to the Hacienda <laughs> after you buy it. We'll, we'll relocate the team as well um, and uh, appeal to MLS to just allow us to continue playing in MLS. Yeah, I, okay. and how could they say no? Right. This is all this is all really straightforward. <laughs> um I guess we have to talk about the loss now. Yeah, we're stalling. I would like to keep planning our retirement on a tequila plantation. <laughs> but we we have to talk about what happened in Atlanta. DC United could not carry the momentum from the opener on Buzzard Point onto the road coming out of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. 3 to 1 losers to the interlopers United, Joseph Martinez, uh, who I believe DC United among, along with everyone else in MLS is required to refer to him as Joseph Martinez, our Lord and master, um, set the MLS record sixth hat trick of his MLS career. He's been here for 18 months and has scored six hat tricks, um, which is more than anyone has scored in 22 years of major league soccer. Um, He's pretty good. Uh, he's also on pace to absolutely shatter the single season goal goal scoring record right now. DC United uh, did not slow him down. He is so good. Superlatives aren't enough to describe how, how good he typically is. He shouldn't have been on the field. Mind you, the disciplinary committee recognized he was so good and treated him like LeBron or something where, or, or Beckham. Uh, where the rules just don't apply, but he was on the field and DC United did not have an answer for him all night long. Yeah. Um, that was really the more than anything. That was the story of the game was that DC couldn't figure out his off the ball runs. Um, you know, it's interesting because on one hand, Atlanta, it took a long time before they produced many shots. They only had, I think seven shots at halftime, um, which for Atlanta is pretty low. Um, but when they were getting looks, it was, you know, Martinez on the doorstep or, um, Martinez getting an open header or, the, you know, this kind of, um, th- these are the chances that he's going to bury almost every time they got away with one in the opening moments where it was like, you know, generally speaking, you'd just expect that to be a goal against. Um, so from that perspective, um, you know, the best striker in the league, torched DC as he's torched many other teams. So um, it's frustrating, but also not entirely shocking that a team that has struggled to defend can't defend the, the top goal scorer in the league. Um, but uh, I, I guess what bothered me is that he wa- he got a lot of headers. Like a lot of his mm-hmm. shots were on headers and it they weren't even he's contested. Five foot seven. Right. But that, well, they weren't contested. He didn't have yeah. to beat anyone. He just, you know, had to be in in the spot by himself um and that's what really frustrates me is that um 
the the inability to get a body on him to get in the way like okay fine you don't have to win every header cleanly it doesn't have to be the classic image of a center back rising above the center forward and nodding the ball confidently away it can just be a guy being in a, in the way enough that the striker can't do anything useful with the ball and the chance goes away um but you can't do that if you're not you know if you're struggling to stay within 3 yards of the guy um and that was compounded by um, Vialba and Andrew Carlton kept finding pockets of space. They weren't crossing from out on the touchline. They were getting into the half spaces and crossing from there. And that's where um, the danger came from. I think that's two of the three goals came from crosses in that kind of spot. So, um, you know, it's preventing those balls in, get, you know, contesting them a little bit better, which goes back to something we've said on like every single show this season, which is the fullbacks need to be better than they are. Um, but then on top of that, you know, the center backs need to be better. David Osted probably needs to be better. Um, and that collective problem defensively was, uh, that's how you lose three to one to Atlanta. Yeah. I just wanted to confirm and, and reiterate what Jason said. And just that, uh, this, I think this DC United back line is probably the worst in the air that I've seen in years. Uh, Burnbaum is still fine when it's Burnbaum's guy, but Briant should be way better, but his positioning is so bad that he's never there to challenge for the headers. And then Mora and Fisher are just not good in the air at all. And so this is, this has been a team for a long time that has been based on let opponents come down the wings and cross it in and either between our goalkeeper or our center backs will head the ball away. And uh, the center backs aren't the fullbacks aren't and Osted isn't either. And so it's a, it's a big problem and they probably need in a perfect world. They'd need three new starters on the back line. That probably won't happen in this window, but at least one and a half starters is essential for this window because they still have to, at this point they have to get that many starters now because they need to, get one and a half more in the winter so they can build for next season. I I, I think okay. what you said about Briant makes a, a lot of sense. And it's, it's weird. He was kind of brought in both to be the guy who can play the ball out of the back. And I think also to be the organizer, because we saw that Steve Birnbaum struggled with that last year and his entire game took a step back when he was trying to take on the organizing load for the team. So my thought when we got Briant was he was going to kind of be the, the guy organizing in the back and he's been slow to react to some things and slow to read situations. His emergency defense at times has been really good, but he hasn't seemed to be the, the organizing presence that, that we need in, in central defense. And I'm glad you also brought up Osted in the air because the first goal that Martinez scored was a header where he beat Osted to the spot. And even if he hadn't beaten him, uh, to to the ball Osted came out kind of so flailing and weak on it he kind of jumped sideways with his arm out to to try to tap the ball instead of actually attacking through the ball that it was i, I don't have a a way bad? to describe it it was bad yeah it was <laughs> I, I, I saw even, a lot even of, if it hadn't been martinez there it would have been a bad play by Osted. yeah i saw a lot of shouts for a penalty there but martinez had already headed the ball away before Osted clattered into him, so... 
Yeah, um, I, I didn't see. I didn't see that. I didn't think it was. I mean, maybe a foul, but I didn't see it was. It wasn't a. No, stone, Martinez got the ball goal. first, and in that yeah. instance, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I it was already going into the goal. Right, and and you know, I, I think the calls from DC United for a foul were, were about fifty percent desperation to prevent a goal, mm-hmm. and fifty percent just you get kind of used to the way referees work these days is is based around this idea that um if a guy collides with a goalkeeper inside the six then it's almost automatically a foul um which isn't written into the rules anywhere it's just how it goes it's just how it it gets called not just here but everywhere um but on this play and i think we're all in agreement and i i know i saw some other people after the fact on the dc side of things being like yeah this that's not a foul um Mm -hmm. because uh Martinez just he got to the ball first he played the ball he wasn't trying to interfere yep. with Osted at all he just won the race to the ball and if anything the contact is uh, a foul on Osted um if that header had gone wide you could say that Osted colliding with Martinez is what put him off that becomes a foul at that point on the goalkeeper so um yeah it wasn't um you know I I know I've said in the past that I think Osted has been fine, but I think the last two games have been, and by fine, I mean like C-plus level, um, but the last two games have been worse. He hasn't given up a goal where it's like that was a clear bad play, but he's not doing enough right now. Um, So, you know, Ben Olsen said in the preseason, and even when Steve Clark got his, um, I think it was like a three-game stretch of starts, um, that he wants to make it competitive back there. And I would hope this week at training or this week, the next couple of days at training, um, that it gets competitive again, because uh, as much as Clark didn't really convince um, on his first stretch, you've got to have some kind of um, some kind of pressure uh, at that spot, because it's part of the equation right now uh, in the last two games that um you know, DC kind of got away with it against Vancouver and they didn't get away with it against uh, Atlanta. Um, the other thing I'll throw in before we get away from this is that um, Atlanta only actually attempted 12 crosses in this game. It's just that almost all of them were dangerous crosses. Um, I pulled up the crossing chart from MLS's stuff and it's, uh, first of all, heavy on crosses from the right. So tough night for Joseph Mora. Um, but there are like, two or three crosses from out on the touchline and everything else is like 10 yards from the touchline. So just outside the box. Um, So that's what I'm talking about. When I mentioned the half spaces, they're, they're getting a little further in and giving themselves an angle to not just have to like power across to the back post, but they, they could place the the ball a little more and uh, United, if they keep giving up those kind of crosses uh, uncontested with runners in the box, they're going to keep giving up goals. That's the, space in I mean Chris Durkin's been doing fine, but that's the space in between Durkin and the wingers. When that that's the risky run with a one defensive midfielder setup where your center backs aren't stepping like Bobby Boswell would, like Dan Yakovic even would. It, it's there are holes on each side right now. Well I would say that some of the reason of that isn't so much um on the formation as much as United opening up. Um, They aren't sitting deep and playing a super compact uh, defensive set anymore. They're actually trying to come out, but that vertical space leaves some space between the lines and the spaces that Ben is talking about gets 
those get opened up because United is willing to press a little more and play a little bit higher up the field and take a few more risks. Um, and this is, we're sort of in that, um, that purgatory uh, right now where they're doing, it's, it's having some benefits going forward, but it comes with a, a big expense at the back. Um, and honestly, it seems like this season is going to sink or swim based on, can this team learn how to not give up so many goals playing this way? Cause I, I feel like they've kind of committed to playing this way. Um, I think this is the, the idea is that they're going to be a little more open to risk defensively than they used to be. Um, but this is the kind of game that you might run into if it doesn't work, if you don't do a good job of it, you end up with, there's like a, a solid half moon of like eight, little uh, cross attempts um, from V Alba and um, Carlton and Almiron that are kind of a big problem uh, if you're getting runners in the box as well. So um, they've got to figure out how to deal with this. They've got to find defenders that are more comfortable dealing in this front foot um, style of play. Um, that's part of the reason why they have new, two new fullbacks. Um, but they haven't worked out Fisher and Mora haven't come through and they're not, um, they don't seem comfortable dealing with the amount of space they have to defend in, in between the midfield and defense that this setup leads them with. So, um, that's kind of the, the push and pull of it. They've got to find a way to solve this problem, whether it's new defenders, uh, whether it's pulling a midfielder back alongside Durkin and reducing some of that space, whether it's abandoning this um attack attacking more or i should say more attacking um outlook but somewhere in there they've got to find some way to balance it out where they're not just conceding so often because right now they're conceding really really often i will say they tried a more defensive approach the first time they went to atlanta and this year and lost by exactly the same scoreline uh i i think this roster can't I, we're locked in for this style, I think, for the rest of the year, probably at least. Yeah. Um, which I'm not complaining about. The I, I think that that there's an argument to be made that it's worth taking your lumps to try to grow out of this and grow through this. Any team that that tries to play on the front foot in MLS is going to go through uh, some growing pains. NYCFC sure. did. Uh, Atlanta is one of the few that that really didn't, and even they didn't get out of the play-in game in the playoffs last yeah, and, year. And like. Atlanta lost four nothing to Houston in their season opener. Yeah, um, yeah. LAFC lost to Minnesota five to one today. Um, mm-hmm. Like this is actually only the this is the first time since March that DC United lost a game by multiple goals, right. which is um, wild to me um, with the the schedule and and the number right. of of losses United have. They've been in every game, uh, you know, except for that that first game in Atlanta and the the game in Columbus. That's it. Those are the only two multi-goal right. losses DC United has this year before yesterday. Right. And if, and, that, and if they're able to get some transformational defensive help in a player or a player and a half, that could change the course of this team. That could be what they need. So, yeah, but they um, do need to make, as we, as we all keep saying, they need to make that one big move. And with how fast the games are coming, they need to do it earlier in the window than later, or else it's going to be six games before whoever it is is ready to start. And by that point, it's it's over. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it could be. Time is really of the essence. Um, I will say I thought this was, to compare to the other 3-1 loss to Atlanta, this was a much closer game than that mm-hmm. one. Um, in that game, Atlanta just completely was dominant. United got their goal at the very end when Atlanta was like, this game is settled. It was sort of like like Atlanta was D.C. and D.C. was Vancouver at Audi Field. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that kind of vibe. Um, this was a closer game. Um, but at the same time, you end up with, I mean, United only actually took five shots and their last shot of the game, or I should say their only shot of the second half was that Lucho Acosta volley into the outside netting, um, which is not, uh, that's not a formula for success. Uh, you want, you want to have a few more shots than that. Um, so yeah. But I mean, and to, to your point, the last Joseph Martinez goal if they were worried about goal differential, for example, if this was like a tournament where goal differential really mattered, I feel like they would have been playing more conservative at that point. They had their line way high up trying to yeah. press, and then uh, Martinez just destroyed that high line. Well, Almiron uh, destroyed it. Well, yeah, but exactly. So I don't bl- like. Yes, they deserve to get scored on on that third goal, but I don't blame them for giving up that third goal. They needed to be pressing like that to try and get back in the game. Right. And yeah, I wasn't faulting them for the style. I, I, I'm, I'm saying I don't think my point was that I don't think they can revert back to, um, the, the 2014 style, uh, with any chance of success with this roster. It it doesn't fit any of the players who, who are here right now. Um, and, and so come, come hell or high water, DC United is going to be an open team right now. And that's fine. I have no problem with that. I enjoy it. It's it's certainly more entertaining to watch, um, and and arguably better for some of the the new roster pieces they brought in, like Wayne Rooney, who got his first start for DC United in this game, uh, and somewhat surprisingly went over an hour, sixty five minutes, um, which I was not ready for. Uh, I, I was not expecting to see. Um, Kind of an anonymous performance, not not what he put in against Vancouver, certainly. Ben, what do you make of his showing in this game? Yeah, you say it's not. Uh, it definitely wasn't what he showed against Vancouver. And going back to lineup changes, this out of any all of the performances is what makes me think that there could be a lineup change in DC United's future. Because Rooney seemed out on an island a little bit. He seemed like he wasn't connecting with the... Uh, attack the four attacking midfielders the way he was uh, against Vancouver. And uh, part of that is Vancouver is uh, trash. Uh, they're a very bad team. But part of it was he didn't have somebody up there to combine with him. So it brings back into my mind the thought that Darren Maddox may still have a starting role on this team, and it may come as soon as Wednesday. I mean, he's definitely going to get starts just to uh, spell people uh, down the stretch, but I I think a formation change could happen just because you've got to maximize Rooney, and you've got to build the team around him, and whatever has him interacting best with the rest of the team is what's going to need uh, to happen. Jason, what do you think the reason for his um, kind of drop off on this was? Was it just fitness? Was it is it on him? Is it on the Atlanta's game plan? Because um, they they seem to want to cut him off and and 
force United to play wider um, through the middle or, or is it on his teammates? Where, where do you assign responsibility for, for getting him incorporated on this particular day? Um, I think the major thing is that we learned how much of a challenge it's going to be for United to play the way that they played um, with Rooney as that fulcrum uh, playing a lot of one touch passes. They're people running on from midfield. Um, we learned how challenging that's going to be when they're on the back foot. Um, mm-hmm. it, Atlanta was a much more complicated opponent than uh, Vancouver. Um, and they had the benefit of knowing what the look was going to be. Um, they had the, the benefit of seeing um, Rooney's approach to playing with his new teammates is at least initially looks like it's based on um, dropping off and then um, taking one or two touches and moving the ball along to somebody charging through. Um, so they were really smart in stepping ahead of Rooney, um, cutting off the passes to him. So he just wasn't very involved. Um, and, and I think that that's maybe the big thing that the team has to work on now is how do you maximize the stuff he can bring? Cause we, we've seen what he can do. Um, how do you maximize that when you're not necessarily having most of the possession and you're not necessarily on the front foot? Um, Rooney's play against Vancouver is a good sign for what United is going to do when they're dealing with a bunkering opponent at home, um, which will come into play not maybe not on Wednesday, but definitely on uh, next weekend when they play Colorado. Um, But when you're on the back foot, when you're having to play on the counter, uh, how do you make that work? Because United has had a lot of success when they've had to play on the counter playing through Darren Maddox, but, Rooney can't play the way Maddox plays. He doesn't have that in his skill set right now. Um, so I, I think that's the biggest part of it is just that um, United was so far back that those midfielders couldn't make those runs off of uh, off of Rooney's touches. And, and, you know, Rooney himself looked a little unsure of himself on the turf. Um, this was his first away game and, and, in English standards, a trip to Atlanta is a long, long trip. Um, for MLS, it's a short trip. Um, so he's got a lot, you know, this might have been a little bit of a, a rude awakening for him as far as what it's going to be like when they go on the road. Um, but I, I think it was a mix of a couple small things like the turf, like the travel. Um, but the big thing is that Atlanta forced DC onto the back foot. It wasn't that DC went to bunker, it was that. Atlanta said, you are going to have to bunker. We're pushing you back to your own goal and there's nothing you can do about it. And United tried to do something about it. They just weren't quite good enough against the best team in the league to force, you know, force their way out of that bind. Um, So going forward, you know, Atlanta's kind of shown teams now a way to deal with United with Rooney, at least for the time being, while Rooney's still adjusting to his teammates. Um, His turnover on that first goal was a... um, trying to play on feel kind of pass. And it was just a little too early for him to try one of those because um, he hasn't been here long enough to play on feel. Um, He hasn't figured out his teammates movements without necessarily uh, having to see them make those movements. Um, And it was just a little ambitious and United paid for it. I I did notice that um, on that play, we're kind of judging the outcome. We're we're judging the process based on the outcome rather than just the process. Um, the outcome was really bad because Atlanta scored a goal, but on plenty of other, you know, 
you make that turnover a few more times and most of the time there's no goal scored. Um, so it's a bad turnover, but it's not this like, I mean, the announcers treated it like Rooney was shooting on uh, David Osted himself. Um, it was excessive. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely shows us the, I think the whole theme of this game is it showed us the, the path forward is longer than maybe we thought after the Vancouver game. Um, there is a way forward, but it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be an instant fix. Um, and unfortunately that might lead to some rocky times in the first, you know, the next three or four games while Rooney's still acclimating himself to the team. There might be some moments like this where it's like that didn't really work. And it's not necessarily that Rooney is washed. It's not that the idea was bad. It's just that he's new um, he's learning this league. He's learning his team. He's learning the travel and being, he's going to have to adjust mentally to simplify his game a little bit, um, to not expose some of those mistakes and not expose some of that misunderstanding. Playing your second game and getting your first start in Atlanta while acclimating to a new team is also you know, not far from the best case scenario. The, if Atlanta provided a blueprint, to to beating united or to to you know ruining united which they did on the night um thankfully it, it, it's hard to replicate what atlanta does for Isn't other teams it? uh they have one of the best rosters in in the league especially at the top end um I think that's the first time rooney's played on turf uh it might Probably be the first the time first. he's played a a true competitive game on turf but it, um, it, I guarantee you he's played been, plenty of on on turf and trainings and in friendlies and and whatnot. Yeah, I mean he might have come across. There are a few teams in Europe that have um, uh, turf. I know there's a couple teams in France and and in random Champions League games he might have had a game on turf at some point because he's played over 700 games. Um, but you know it's probably the first time he's been on turf in a competitive game in seven or eight years at a minimum. Um, I feel like that's a, a ballpark. Uh, that's a, a good chance that that's the case. So um, I think there was some discomfort with that uh, on the occasion, but uh, mostly it was just that he was isolated and it was hard for him to do what he seems to want to do. If he's isolated, it's hard to play runners with one touch soccer. If you've got no one near you. Right. So United has to just be able to, you know, not let other teams force them deep into their own half for extended periods, which against teams that aren't called Atlanta are, is a little bit easier, but uh, the goal obviously is to be able to play the way United wants to play against everybody. And this was a, like you said, Jason, and you said in the recap as well, this, this shows that it's uh United's not there yet and they have a long way to go, but there is a path forward. They will, hopefully and presumably keep getting better. Um, but like I said, I, I think in my prediction in the, our predictions post for this one, progress is very rarely linear. You're going to have fits and starts, but you look at the, the long term, you look at the longer, broader view and see if United is progressing. And it'll take a couple more data points to see how they're doing with after, you know, the Rooney era has begun, but hopefully it'll, it'll show they're going in the right way. You guys have anything else you want to talk about this game? I just wanted to shout out very briefly uh, Paul Ariola's pass to Zoltan Stieper, even though Univision uh, conspired to not give us any replays of that buildup. 
but we at least saw the pass itself, and it was beautiful for that goal. Paul Ariola, central midfielder, turning out to be a pretty great move for DC United. That's it for the Atlanta game. It's in the past. It can't hurt us anymore. We're looking to the future. The New York Red Bulls come into town on Wednesday. Colorado comes on Saturday. We're going to talk about both of those games in at least some measure when we come back from this break. Stick around. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. DC United return to Buzzard Point this week for a pair of games. First up, the first ever Atlantic Cup matchup at Buzzard Point. Uh, the Red Bulls come to town Wednesday for their first, actually the first Atlantic Cup game of 2018. Uh, that'll be Wednesday night. Come Saturday, the Colorado Rapids will make their Audi Point debut. Audi Point, I did it again. That's two weeks in a row. I'm going to do this every week, aren't I? Their Audi Field debut. Uh, both games kick off at 8 o'clock. Watch them on News Channel 8 or your local Sinclair station, ESPN Plus, if you're not in the immediate metro area. Let's talk about the metros. They are having a pretty good season. They're tied uh, for first in the league on points per game with Atlanta and NYCFC. Yeah, pretty good company up there. Uh, they're coming off a 2 nothing win in New England where they... I'll admit I only watched the highlights of for this one, but it didn't look like they really got ever ever got out of second gear. They just kind of cruised in in this one. There are there are a couple of moments for the revs, but mostly it was just the Red Bulls kind of owning the game, uh, which is not a happy thought for me. Just because I don't like the Red Bulls, I want them to suffer. They did not suffer in that game. Uh, one thing that that stood out to me. Uh, they had a lot of chances on set pieces did the metros and both their goals were headed in. If you listen to the first segment and have listened to us throughout the year, you know that two things United have become bad at are defending set pieces and controlling the air. Jason, I don't like what I saw in that Red Bulls game last week. Uh, yeah. I mean, one thing that hasn't left that team with Jesse Marsh going over to uh, Europe is that uh, they've still got, a tremendous uh, 
backlog of set piece plays that get people open. They don't have a big team. Um, a lot, actually, if you look at their their midfield uh, and forwards, it's a lot like United situation right now, where there's not a lot of size. Um, but they're really, really good at moving people around and working, um, working every angle they can and getting people into space for headers. Um, and in fact, they've even gotten good at using some of those bigger players purely as decoys. And so they'll have Tim Parker draw three or four markers, and then he's not even going to be involved in the play. His whole job is to just attract attention and move away from the person that's supposed to be heading the ball. Um, they're they're really clever about that. It's um, an institutional priority for Red Bull uh, across the board. All of their teams do this. Um, and there's a good reason for it. It's a really good way to score goals. It's a, a pretty simple, um, inefficiency that they're exploiting. Um, and you know, everyone's trying to do that. Every team is trying to come up with ways to, um, maximize those opportunities. They've just been better at it than most teams for a while, you know, a solid three years now. Um, and so for, for United, it's a bit like the Atlanta problem where it's not so much about, you know, these lofted crosses to a big guy. Um, Bradley Wright Phillips is like five foot nine. Um, he's not big. He's not particularly strong. Um, they are just really good at getting open and putting the ball where the guy's going to be, not where there's a battle to be fought. They just, they don't have to fight the battle. Um, they find a way to not even have to do it. Um, so yeah, that, that side of things is definitely, um, you know, United just learned the, the problem if they can't prevent those situations, um, you give up plenty of goals. And if they do that again, they're probably going to give up some more goals in this one. Um, so they, at least they got kind of a slap in the face over the weekend where they say, like, if you keep doing this, you're going to keep making the same mistake. And now they have a few days to prep for the Red Bulls and get as much of an idea on how to defend those set pieces. And those um, even, you know, from open play, those uh, crosses from, um, promising spots to runners in the box. They, they've got to find a way to make those crosses contested and they've got to make sure that those runners are tracked. It's, it's not um, an overly complicated problem to sum up. It's an over, it's a, but it's a very complicated problem to actually address. It's all in the execution and yeah. the Red Bulls are really good at executing those, those plays. Um, even if they're not the, the really tricky eight people run past the ball. And then the last one serves it to the first one, which mm-hmm. they've done a few times. That was one they did a lot with Dax McCarty. Uh, yeah. They're not doing anything silly and training groundy like that, but they're, they still have routines and movements to, to get people open in, in a less um, comedic way, I guess. Right. Um, and you got to watch out for those, especially the way United is defending right now which is frustrating as hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Jesse Marsh is gone. He's taken an internship in Germany, uh, a two year internship. So, you know, and it's paid. Not yeah, all internships paid. are paid. Yeah. You so, got even credit for that. Yeah. I mean, he negotiated hard to get that assistant coaching internship with RB Leipzig. Um, Chris Armis has taken over the Red Bulls, uh, is there any difference between the two or are they both essentially cogs in the Ralph ball machine? Uh, there is, there does appear to be some degree of difference. I think, um, 
Armus has encouraged a bit more of a slower tempo, not slow, but slower. Um, a little more of an emphasis on possession on, um, not having these pinball kind of games. Um, though their game against the revs was very much a pinball kind of game. Um, the passing accuracy totals, which I've pulled up because I knew they were bad. I had, I didn't really know from watching it, um, how bad they would be. It's, uh, the Red Bulls had a 69% passing accuracy and the revs had a 58% passing accuracy, which is like college soccer kind of levels. Um, so they're still very much a team that wants to high press and wants to, um, for them, it's really big. Um, it, it's funny. They almost need to have their turnover so that um, you get lulled into that moment where you think it's our ball and your fullbacks start to step up and your number eight steps up a little high. And then they win the ball back off of you very quickly. They're very big in that um, uh, idea of winning it back in, within five seconds of losing it. Um, and that's really where they are the most dangerous. And that's still in place under Armas. Um I think maybe what's changed is there's at least an attempt to have a little more uh, patience with the ball. They're not just trying to get in behind all the time um, and have a, a pure transition game. And I, I also think they, they, they feel at least at this point a little more rigid in their formation They're, They've been four, two, three, one pretty much all season. And it feels like for the time being, at least it's going to be, more obvious that they're in four, two, three, one from start to finish. Whereas under Marsh, there was a little more fluidity um, and a willingness, you know, once, once he actually succeeded with a formation change, which took a couple years, um, there was a little more fluidity in their lineups. And sometimes you'd be watching them and be like, what is this supposed to be exactly? But not in a, this team is shapeless and falling apart way more in a, like there's a, a lot going on and it's hard to track everyone's position because they're all free to move. Um, I think Armas for the time being has them in a more regimented um, idea and we'll, we'll, you know, on with the quick turnaround, I don't think they're going to change that too much for this Wednesday. So um, look for the four, two, three, one look for them to emphasize Kaku uh, Gamara, who started his first impression at MLS was pretty bad. He seemed ineffective, but since then he has become the league's assist leader. I think he's on 12. Um, and he is looking like they finally, they finally spent big in South America and actually nailed it. Uh, unlike some of their other attempts that didn't really come off, uh, while they were pretending to be blue collar, but still spending millions of dollars. Um, yeah, he's got 12 assists in 16 appearances. So the guy's dangerous, uh, as all get out. And on top of that, Bradley Wright Phillips appears to not be aging. Uh, I don't know how that works, um, but he is, what, 33 this year? Yeah, 33, and he's having maybe his best, um, you know, his best half season anyway. He's already got 13 goals. Um, so, yeah, uh, those two have really been – it's interesting. Those two have kind of allowed them to be a little more defensive this year than in past years. They, they aren't taking as many risks going forward because it just – they're kind of willing to rely on those two to unlock defenses. Whereas in years past, it was, we have to throw numbers and sort of break the door down with a mob. And this year they've got a couple lock pickers instead, and they just get through that way. Um, so they've, they've changed, but they haven't changed a lot. 
And you actually anticipated like my next two questions with okay. that. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm looking at some other stuff. Tyler Adams. That's a name. Uh, uh, he, he's obviously one of their young guns. He's played central midfield. He spent some time at wingback last year for the Red Bulls. Um, Maybe getting a winter he, internship he, in Germany. Yeah, he may be getting uh, probably paid more than Jesse Marsh to to go spend some time learning the ropes in Germany. Though, as a player who you know wants to more quickly move up to to bigger and better things, uh, including the U.S. national team. Uh, how's he fitting in this year? Because he has kind of split time between two positions for the Red Bulls in the past. Um, he's been really, really good. I mean, he's not the offensive force, but um, that that the other um, that Kaku and BWP are, but um, he's still the lungs of that midfield. He covers so much ground. Um, this weekend against the Revs, he played out on the right. Um, but I feel like that was more of a um. You know, with with multiple games coming up, they had to find a way to get um, some some fresh legs somewhere in their midfield. So they brought in um, Mark Zhukowski. I don't I'm sure I butchered his name. I'm sorry. Um, But they they brought him in at the base of the midfield to be sort of a um, tempo setter uh, because he has been playing well. So they found a way to incorporate him while still putting Adams in a position that he can succeed in because it seems like you can put Adams almost anywhere and he seems to produce a pretty good performance. Um, you, you could probably throw him up at striker and get at least a decent outing out of him. He'd be better than, um, you know, uh, speaking of Colorado, when we're going to get to them, he'd probably be better than most of Colorado's forwards as a forward. Um, so yeah, a- Adams, I suspect he'll be back in central midfield. He'll be back as a, as their defensive midfielder uh, in this four, two, three, one for Wednesday. But they could play him wide right. They could play him as the eight. They could play him as a right back. And they still seem to get uh, really, really good results from him because he's just, he's got such a well-rounded skill set. Um, and his, you know, his soccer IQ for a player of his age is extremely high. And that combination of things, when you also add in, you know, some pretty decent athleticism, he's fast, he's strong. Um all of that really adds up to a guy that it's hard to deal with no matter where they put him because he finds a way to um, adapt his skill set to what's needed because he can kind of do everything. Um, it's a good example, too, of the, you know, a lot of times we complain about players getting overlooked because of their size. And Tyler Adams is five foot nine, 150 pounds. Like he's physically not um, an impressive uh, specimen. Uh, when you're looking for tall, strong guys that are fast, but he's really good at everything. And so, of course, he's a successful soccer player because he can just do all of the soccer things you need to be able to do. And he's smart. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of part of the way that the Red Bulls, um, their whole system is based around this idea that um, they need to get that extra man to the ball quickly to press the ball. And on so many occasions, that extra man is going to be Adams. No matter where he lines up, he just ends up getting near the ball anyway because he can cover that much ground and still get back to where he needs to be. If the, if the high press doesn't work, he then gets back and recovers in time because he has this like infinite stamina. It's kind of uh, it's kind of an amazing tool to have in your. Um, it, it seems like such a basic thing to just be able to run a lot, but um, he can run a lot more than all the guys that can run a lot. 
I'm, I just want to soak in the eloquence of he can run a lot more than the other guys who can run a lot. Thank you. Uh, after all, all this talk, Chris Armas kind of having them in a more rigid four, two, three, one, they ditched the three, 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 one and box four, four, two last year. Now watch Adams is going to be playing right wing back in like a, a three, six, one of some flavor against DC United, just because that that happens to us on filibuster where we talk about something happening and then <laughs> the opposite happens uh, from a tactical standpoint. Uh, speaking of opposites, it it's striking how opposite the Colorado Rapids are to the New York Red Bulls. The Red Bulls are uh, co-leaders as, as far as points per game in the lead in, in the league, Colorado's second to last on points per game behind DC United. Um, the Red Bulls, very, very front foot to the extreme. They want to press you and get the ball back, like Jason said, within five seconds. Colorado, a, a back foot team. And now that the Red Bulls are playing a, a 4-2-3-1, Colorado playing a three-back, five-back system with the lone striker, uh, content just to, to hang out for a while. Um, what, what do we need to know about the, the Rapids at this point? I, I guess we can... The name on their roster is still Tim Howard is, is the biggest name, which is, is not a good thing for the Rapids at at this point. Ben is, we, we, we talked some negativity about David Osted in the first segment. Would you take Tim Howard over him right now? No. (laughs) (laughs) Tim Howard is done. He is cooked. He is the worst starter in the league. I don't think it's that, Close, Ben. Gold uh, don't rust. It says so right there on his butt cheek. <laughs> the, the fact Sorry. that he had to besides like, worst besides worst goalkeeper and goal, worst starter in the league. Tim Howard also has the worst tattoo in the league. I think that uh, that's settled. Uh, you probably have to look at Breck Shea Probably has some tattoos that you're not thinking of. <laughs> I don't know the level of irony in Gold Don't yeah. Rust being on Tim Howard in 2018 is. It's, it's like chef dark. kiss. It's yeah. it's so perfect. I mean, the fact that he was like, tr- like uh, pointing at the, his name on the back of his jersey after a draw this past weekend is, at, when he didn't do anything is just wholly indicative a, of him. A, a two to two draw, no less. Yeah. It's not like he he held a clean sheet, right? Like. He's very bad right now. There's there, there's just nothing else to say about that. He's bad. He shouldn't be a starter, but he is because it's Colorado and they paid a lot of money for him. And I respect him for everything that he did for U.S. soccer in 2010 uh, and 2014, of course. But he's real bad right now. And I'm... <sighs> it would have been interesting to see... It would have been interesting to see if... Uh, uh, whoever the coach was would have started him if the United States had made the uh, 2018 World Cup. But as we all know, for a number of reasons, the U.S. would have gotten destroyed if they'd made the World Cup. But uh, Tim Howard would have been a part of it because if he had started, uh, he would have been blown away because he's not good right now. And it makes me sad because we all have love for Timmy. We all love Timmy. But he's just not an MLS quality starter right now. Which is kind of a theme with the Rapids. Um, yeah. <laughs> they have a lot of guys that fit that uh, 
that description. I mean, this at is Tim, team- at least Tim Howard has like everybody's affection, which the right. rest of their team is like, right. who's that guy? Yeah. Um, this is a team that's starting like, or at least for most of the season, they started a guy that was with the Whitecaps uh, USL affiliate until the Whitecaps decided to stop doing that. And he was just sort of out there. They signed him to be a starter. Um, they've got a couple players for New Zealand's national team. They've got um, Jack McBean has a significant number of starts after some time in USL. Um, they've actually got a bunch of guys like Enzo Martinez was a USL player who became a, he's become a regular if not starter than a regular sub, he was a starter at the beginning of the year. Um, he might start this game because of an injury. He came in um, for, he played 66 minutes off the bench uh, in their tie with RSL. So there's a lot of guys on this team where it's like, really, this is uh, this is the guy you want to start in MLS uh, at this point in time. Um, of fullbacks and DC United, guess who just got signed to a USL team after just kind of hanging out for a little bit? Uh, I don't know. Kyle Porter is now uh, playing right back for uh, the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Do you guys remember when Kyle Porter started to play a little fullback? Uh, and it was like, wait, really? I, I sure do. <laughs> was so that was so far not so far beyond not his skill set at the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad he's able to do it now at 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 the USL level. Good for him. But yeah, that, that seems like a Colorado-esque level of uh, of signing. I mean, yeah. Um, they they just don't have an MLS-caliber roster. Um, they don't even have, like, it's not one of those situations, like, when Montreal looked terrible this year, but at least they had Piotti for a while that he could bail him out for a certain amount of uh, time. They don't have, it's like that, but no Piotti. Um, there's just not really... You know they they traded to get Sam Nicholson from Montreal or for uh, Minnesota, and then they've played him everywhere but the position he had all, always played in his career because um, they don't have wingers because of their um, you know they they would like it to be seen as a three five two, but generally it's much more five in the back regardless of you. Know, they've played a few games with five four one instead of um, five three two because even even playing five three two was leaving them too exposed, so they added. They pull the forward back into the midfield and it still isn't working. Um, it, going back to the preseason, I thought this team looked like the only way it was going to work is if Anthony Hudson, their their coach, their new coach this year, um, was able to get them to buy in to this um, very heavy. It, it's very heavy on emotion to play the way that they wanted to play, where everyone has to give everything they have every second of every game because they have to make up for this tremendous gap in skill with their opponents. And we all think, you know, we all think that our players are always going to be giving us everything they've got, but like emotionally to do that for a full year, it tends to not pan out. You need to have players who can play um, and succeed when they're maybe not all there. Um and Colorado's style of play requires everyone to overachieve wildly every second of every game. And they haven't done it. And they're probably the worst team in the league. Um, the fact that they're coming here rather than us going there should make it even more of a a gap. This might be the single easiest game United has for in 2018. Um, 
So they Please have to don't take let advantage. the filibuster curse I mentioned earlier. Please don't let that happen in this game. That would be the worst. I mean, if, if they can't beat the Rapids at home, yeah, you have every right to be mad online, um, both mad and online capitalized, um, because this is just it's it's baffling. I'm baffled. At, and we were this far into the season. I still look at the I'm looking at the Rapids lineup from this weekend and I'm like, how is this your team? Um, there's just, there's, there's nothing there. So it's a guaranteed Tim Howard, 10 save game and, uh, a a light winner from the Rapids. I mean, I don't think Tim Howard has that kind of game left in him even one more time in his career. Um, but if that, if that were to happen, it would be like, okay, then, um, there is some sort of, uh, some sort of higher power is emerging to hate our team. Um, because that, this is the kind of team that even like uh, some sort of curse uh, in their a curse against their opponents can't even help them. Um, they're they're really bad. I just I feel bad for Rapids fans who've been through so much of just not th- their ownership group not doing anything, um, or when they try to do something, it's a mistake. Um, At this point, they definitely made a deal with a hell demon to win the 2010 MLS Cup, right? <laughs> Yeah, I would assume so. I, I think you can take that and and accept it as the truth that uh, so, something, some sort of soul was sold to some sort of demon for uh, the worst MLS Cup final. Um, and since then, it's been a nonstop barrage of also ran players that are just guys that aren't even worth the price of admission to watch. Um, that you know, I uh, in our internal um, site chat. Uh, one of the questions that came up about the Rapids was like, where's uh, Shkels Ngashi? Where's he been this season? And the answer is that they don't rate him. Uh, so a team that can't create, can't score goals, uh, this weekend didn't even include him on their bench. I don't know if he got like traded or something or sold uh, because I've been in a car going to the soccer plex so often. <laughs> but um, I mean, there's no explanation. Um that he's not part of that team because that team is so desperate for any sort of um, attacking flair to, to open things up for them going forward that you would think, you know, if you're going to play five in the back, you should be able to get away a little bit with a player who maybe isn't the best um, on the defensive side of the ball because of what he would bring going forward. He can bring those moments of magic that you otherwise can't produce. And instead it seems like on under Anthony Hudson, it seems like the whole game plan is we're going to outwork our opponents. And that is the only way that soccer can be won. And it's almost like someone needs to remind him, like, you know, that like being like good at kicking the ball is good too. Like that also helps. No one should tell him that until after the weekend though. Please don't. (laughs) So before we give away any other super secret ways to be good at soccer, I'm going to call it a show. We're going to end it here. All right. Uh, Thank you all for listening. More super secret soccer tips coming next week. Find us at filibuster. Uh, I can talk. I'm good at talking. I swear. If anyone has, if anyone has super secret tips to be good at a podcast, please send them to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us at black and red united.com. Uh, support us financially at patreon.com slash filibuster. Uh, there will be bonus content coming to two patrons at some point in the near future uh we we tried to do some last week but uh the world fell in on us a little bit um and and time was a 
luxury that wasn't provided to us. Uh, we're on Twitter at filibuster DCU for the podcast at black and red. U for the website. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you can find podcasts, please subscribe, download rate review, uh, whatever the other podcasts ask you to do, do that for us too. Um, Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to get the word out. So when you're at Buzzard Point tailgating or uh, at the bar before the game or, or even in the stadium, just turn to the person next to you and said, hey, I listen to a podcast. Do you listen to podcasts? It's not weird. I promise. If you just own it and just go for it, you're in. Uh, thank you again for listening. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk at you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. I'm going to get in my car and go back to the soccer place. <laughs>